Namaste. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening. I don't know what time you're watching this video, but I wish you are in presence. Whatever time it is, I wish you are here and now, wherever you are. I was invited to speak on this online festival. I had the chance of being part of it on previous opportunities when it was face-to-face -face, but I was one of the exceptions as I was online as well. I have a background that involves part of the topic you are watching that is the, that is the proposal of the Pranic Congress We work since 2001 in that direction with retreats on prana until 2009 it was part of my journey to talk about that I gave a lot of lectures in those eight initial years and I ended up meeting a lot of people. I gave a lot of lectures in Europe, in several countries, always leaning on other people's stories, leaning on the writings of those who were disclosing that, uh, who were disclosing that at that time. And of course, to be consistent, I had my own experiences. And as my family and me were following this process, referred to the pranic nourishment as it is being placed. So, so for a long time, we carried this experience and it was truly interesting for our growth, for our self-knowledge, self-investigation, to see how does this relationship with the layers of ourselves work. So it's been 19 years by now that we live this framing that touched uh, at some point the topic the the Congress pros, proposed. I think it was originally born in Jasmuhin's book, Living on Life. A few days ago, the yogi Prahlajani passed away. He spent many years without eating or drinking. I met him. It was a very interesting experience. I also met Hira Ratanmanek and other people that spread this lifestyle that is not new. As we study yoga, we get closer to this reality. So, I encouraged myself to speak with you a little bit different than previous years. I'd speak a little bit about the outcome of my research. I won't necessarily be heading towards that topic, living on light or breatharianism. I'm not going to focus on that, although I received 10 questions about, about it and I'm going to answer at the end of the video. These are questions related to breatharianism specifically. 
I would like to bring four topics. The first one is spiritual nutrition. The second one is spiritual ego. The third one is spiritual principles. And the fourth one is spiritual life. I'm going to try to go through all these topics. And after that, we are going to dive into that experience related to the prana, the light, our connection with that subtle side. Okay. Mm. The spiritual nutrition or spiritual nourishment, I'm going to start from my experience with yoga. I'm a yoga teacher since many years ago. I have some courses in India. I go there every year to study a little bit. And my background with yoga came from my parents. When I was born, my parents already practiced yoga. They followed yoga and their master or guru uh, was Pramahansa Yogananda, the author of Autobiography of a Yogi, where we find great references that became an inspiration for those who were studying this possibility of living without eating. So you have Jerry Bala, Teresa Neumann, and, and other characters like Mahavatar Babaji that transcended aging, transcended the limitation of matter. Anyways, many fantastic things in that sense. From, from my life experience, teaching yoga, studying yoga, studying Vedanta, studying Samkhya and Hatha Yoga, where we can maybe gather more data about the prana experience. So I would like to share a little bit with you about this and it will be part of the first topic, spiritual nutrition, okay? So, um, in yoga, we can find a science that talks about the human being as a character, as an evolving individual, a character that holds many masks, where our development includes to remove the masks and assume the light being we are. This will be Satchitananda, the truth, the consciousness, the, the happiness, the blessedness. And from this, we can live our Dharma. Dharma is what contains, is the big law. Dharma will be a higher purpose, there are many translations for Dharma, but it's basically what supports, that's Dharma. And in that process of living Dharma, it means doing well to others, to society, to Mother Earth, the planet. And we may reach a stage by living our Dharma where we eliminate the karmas we accumulate throughout our lives until there's no need for us to reincarnate, to come back to this experience because we overcame all the needs to be back, coming back here to this corporality, to this three-dimensional condition. And then we can start evolving in a spiritual realm without the corporality, without the matter, then another long way starts. And it will happen. We have a great merit 
and we dilute in the absolute what we call the Samadhi Moksha, the exit, the Nirvana. Nir means exit and Vana, it means jungle. So it is the exit of this tangled realm, the liberation to get out of these ties this dimension has. The attachments, the aversions, the fears, the grief. And then you get away of this jungle and that is the liberation, moksha. The Vedas deal a little bit with that, the four Vedas. After the four Vedas, there is the final part of the Vedas that is the Vedanta study, the Upanishads. There are 108 Upanishads, the main ones. They talk a lot about our elevation, about the clutter our mind brings by identifying itself with the character that inhabits, the upkeeping with certain roles we assume in our lives, where we end up losing ourselves, where we miss the experience and the real reason of our mission of why we are here incarnated. After that, we are going to find the Bhagavad Gita that Vyasadeva wrote according to mythology. Vyasadeva just tells to Ganesh what was the Mahabharata and Ganesh breaks the tip of his tooth, his ivory, and writes the Vedas. That's why when you see Ganesh, he's always with a broken tooth. Then Vyasadeva tells the whole Mahabharata story. And there's a point at the Mahabharata that is the Bhagavad Gita. This is the dialogue between Arjuna and Krishna, Lord Krishna, in front of the battlefield. And from this conversation rises the 18 chapters that corresponds to the Lord's song, the Bhagavad Gita. Therein, he is going to speak about the different types of yoga. He is going to speak about several observations about our being, the potential we are as light beings, as brahmas, as gods. We have an endless potential. Afterwards, later on, over the centuries, a little before the Christian era, just before Christ, we are going to find a wise named Patanjali. And Patanjali is attributed to the systematization of yoga. Yoga becomes a darshana. It becomes an orthodox school from Patanjali. Then yoga gets a new features that is the Raja Yoga that is one of the four forms of yoga. We have the Karma Yoga, the Bhakti Yoga, the, the Nanya Yoga and we have the Raja Yoga that is the Royal Yoga. So we have the Action Yoga, the, devo the Devotion Yoga, the Yoga of the Study of Knowledge and the Royal Yoga that is one, the one that involves meditation the self-research, the research of the self. So, in that treaty, uh, Patanjali writes, called Yoga Sutra, he talks about our abilities and our griefs, where it ex exists within our growth, the preventive elements for us to see reality as it is. Within this, there are very simple things as it is deception, 
deception is one of those wrong perceptions about reality. So we have a myopic vision about what's going on and many of the clutters rise from our belief. We start believing in something and our way of seeing the world is always from that perspective. We need to fit what we are seeing into what we believe. So we are going to shape reality, what we hear, what we see, what we study. We bring everything to reassert our belief, right? Not the developing a method of research, of reformulating what we believe in. We don't do that. We believe in something and we look for reasons to reaffirm what we believe in. Although maybe this is the biggest mistake of our growth, belief must be supple. It must be keeping up with the news, keeping up with our inner spiritual process, our understanding. So as long as we approach the truth that remains there, unshakable and changing, we have to shift our beliefs. Because as we are in the illusion, it means we are believing in wrong ideas. We can't get stuck on wrong ideas trying to change the universe to match what we believe in. But to, but to shift what we believe in to match reality itself. So in this book, in four chapters, Patanjali talks about the human being and the hardship to break free. The last chapter is precisely about this, Kaivalya Pada, the dissociation or de-identification of phenomenal processes. It is a chapter where he talks about set us free. But before this chapter, especially in chapter 3, previous the last chapter, he talks about the powers that is Bibuchipada. In this chapter, he speaks about the capabilities the human being can reach throughout discipline. When he talks about making the body bigger or smaller, he talks about remaining lighter than the air, he talks about telepathic communication. He talks about not getting old. He talks about overcoming hunger and thirst. He talks about self-healing, overcome disease. Anyway, he speaks about many things we are used to hearing, especially people involved on the esoteric path on the alternative path, they end up hearing about these topics. Who read Autobiography of Ayogi, who saw the levitating saint, the two-bodied saint, this is not new for them. And we are going to notice this has been said before Jesus Christ. So it seems a big statement for people who are on this path who are looking for answers. Sometimes we don't find it through modern science and we see it through secret science, ancestral knowledge, ancient tradition. We are going to see these things are already there. But before concluding this part, I would like to speed up the chronological time of yoga evolution a little bit and later I'll go back to Patanjali's Sutra Yoga where he speaks all these things, okay? 
Well, a few centuries later, a yogi named Adi Shankaracharya. Uh, Adi Shankaracharya is born in southern India and he reshapes the, the Hindu view. Those many ways of study and look at reality, these several perspectives of living reality. By that, by that time, India was going through a realm of Buddhist thought. The main religion in India was Buddhism. And he goes on a mission to bring Vedic authority back to India. So he makes a pilgrimage from Kerala to Kashmir, traveling, setting little ashrams, teaching people, initiating people within the order of the Swamis, bringing back the Upanishads, bringing this literature that is so comprehensive and speaks about human reality, about the goals the human beings need to reach to fulfill spirituality. And he succeeds in his mission. He spends his life in this mission of spreading Vedic authority and along this way, he makes many bashes. The, there are comments about the Holy Scriptures. Then he makes the Yoga Bhashya. There is a comment about Patanjali's Yoga Sutra. But he also makes the Bhagavad Gita Bhashya. He makes bashes about many sacred books. And from Adi Shankaracharya, uh, from his work, we can see there is a certain, there is a sect in India called the Natas, and this community Nata, they are tantric. They work mostly with the sensory side, with many Zen beliefs many rituals, many belief itself, and a lot of power in the middle. And Tantra itself studies our most subtle abilities to evolve, to unblock the limitations of our physical eye in order to see the matter, the energy interacting with the matter, and Hatha Yoga is born from Natas. That is the yoga of polarity, the yoga of the sun and the moon, Hatha, the two opposite energies that create balance. So it will be the balance yoga. It is also placed as rigorous yoga, the yoga of strength, but it has that line as the yoga that works with the polarities, the balance between the polarities. In this traffic and this fusion of knowledge, what, we, what was being rediscovered by Adi Shankaracharya and the connection with the Natas, it comes Hatha Yoga and Hatha Yoga begins to develop with the first masters, let's say, who had not only prophetic conditions but also paraphysical powers, extrasensory powers. Then a master named Matsyendranath Matsyendranath, uh, Nat from the Society of the Natas. He studies yoga with the physical side. 
he starts studying the subtle channels of the body, he awakens his clairvoyant vision to see his own body through the energetic side, the pranic side of the body. Then he starts studying the nadis, the channels, the energetic veins of the body, just as we have the nervous system with nerves, the circulatory system with arteries, veins, and so on, we have our pranic system, where there are more or less 72,000 energetic ducts inside the body. So, Matien Ranat begins studying all this. And his disciple, uh, Goraksha Nat, makes a treaty called Goraksha Shataka. And the Goraksha Shataka talks about the first exercise uh, we can do to move the subtle parts of the body. For example, the pranayamas. Yama is contention. So, it is the control of prana. So, he realizes through breathing is possible to alter our subtle feel. So, he starts developing a science to find the correct ways to avoid a mess, basically. It is also said in sacred books that if you practice pranayamas without a master, you can reach madness, the perception of reality without any functionality, let's say. You could get out of your orbit and maybe you won't be able to come back anymore. Mm, unfortunately, I already met people who started doing every spiritual practice they found on their way and they went crazy, truly. They can't speak in a logical way, everything seems to chase them, everything is a big conspiracy. They lost the practical side, even the, the spiritual side as well. It's, it's insane. Then Goraksha had a disciple named Swatmarama. And Swatmarama writes the book that will be the beginning of Hatha Yoga. The book's name is Hatha Yoga Pradiptika. In that book, he talks about several spells, several techniques used by that Hindu sect. He, he explains about the subtle sides, the strength, about things that aren't used anymore in yoga, but he talks about many postures, postures you can overcome, death, for example. Of course, we need to ponder a little. Everything was uh, full of allegories. So, not everything was literal. Many things were there just to, to flourish the grammatic structure. So, within the Hatha Yoga, Pradipka starts talking about how to trigger the energetic side of the body. Talks about the Kundalini, about Ida, about Pingala, Sushumina, the inner system where the Kundalini accesses, awaken our energy, uh, 
we're awakening our energetic centers until we have light of lucidity that we can call it samadhi and activate our potential. Besides this very important treaty, there is a frame that builds yoga around the world. We can notice nowadays yoga has many, many names. There is doggy yoga, there is ganja yoga, paoeri yoga, there is ashtanga vinyasa, there is vinyasa, vinyasa flower. Um, the person who's starting now can get confused and basically every modern yoga is hatha yoga with the name of somebody who creates a new methodology but the foundation is always hatha yoga okay later on it comes another treaty from Geranda Samita and that treaty talks about the subtle side talks about many asmas, mudras many of those postures we can do to activate subtle channels inside of ourselves what we are activating when we connect to the fingers which circuits we are activating through postures and they had the clairvoyant to see which circuit was closed uh, or open and so on it's very interesting to study all this In the Geranda Samhita, he speaks about the subtle portion we don't have access on a daily basis. We can notice acupuncture works on that a lot. Mm, works on the meridians and we have reflexes in other parts of the body, even in our mind, right? Then there is a newer treaty called Shiva Samhita that talks about the chakras. So it mentions Muladra Chakra, Savistana Chakra, Judha Chakra, Anahata, Anya Chakra, Manipura, Vishuddha and Sahasara. Each chakra is related to each gland. Each gland releases a hormone that has an effect in our mental, emotional and physical body. Then there is more energy for our spiritual side. When we hear about a book talking about the chakras, each one with an idea. They come from this yoga treatise that explain each symbol, why the elephant inside, why the star, why this figure inside the heart, and so on. So there's a reason for all of that. It is a very hard science to study during a weekend. Uh, it could be dangerous as well because we are activating things without the knowledge the Asian master had, knowing what's going on in the body, seeing the blockages and work on that. So knowing all of that, knowing there are thousands of years of research many years out there in the forest meditating to find the reasons they're not invented stuff uh, this is knowledge from
from generations and generations of discipline. And now I would like to come back to Patanjali's Yoga Sutra. In the second chapter, he talks about Satnapada, the spiritual discipline for you to conquer the powers and conquer freedom. But first of all, he starts uh, with a disciplinary path called Ashtanga Yoga. Ashta meaning eight, Anga meaning parts. So there are eight parts to get the enlightenment. I will talk about the eight parts, but I'm going to stop in the first ones first. Uh, yamas, Niyamas, Asana, Pranayama, Pratahara, Dharana, Dhyana and Samadhi. Eight parts. In Yamas and Niyamas, we find what allow us to be safe on our spiritual growth. And there are principles we have inside besides spirituality, besides religion. It will be, they are well known as well. Uh, it will be don't harm, don't lie, don't steal, don't lust, don't covet. Those are the five yamas. And the nyamas are self-purification, contentment, self-discipline, self-study or study of the human evolution and self-surrender to trust absolutely in God. To trust, we can be led without having control all the time. These are the basic principles for, for you start looking up the powers. In the powers chapter, Viputipada, in Sutra 38, it says, the one who puts the effort of his life to conquer a city, a power, that city becomes an obstacle on his spiritual development. So I'm going to repeat. The one who puts the focus of his life to conquer a power, that power becomes an obstacle on his liberation. So, to sum up, what it means is that we can't attach to physical conditions for our enlightenment. We need to be aware of the noble principles. So, well, do I want to stop eating, but I keep stealing attention, stealing people's opportunity, I steal anything, is it that I'm still violent on the way I speak to my mother, to my father, to my children? Am I true on what I do? Am I coherent? Arjava, the coherent principle. Am I in balance on what I think and what I do? The principles are what guides the person to avoid the spiritual ego right? I was talking about the spiritual nourishment. You feed yourself from knowledge, from the surrender, from the daily discipline. All that is a spiritual nourishment. It is not necessarily to stop eating itself. I can apply all this 
while I still eating, actually. And how's the food? Without violence, the right amount, not a food that excites too much, and also I need to have balance with food. Then we enter in the spiritual ego, that there is a very sensitive side of ourselves and, and we sometimes don't realize it. We are always going to situations we can justify because it is spiritual, I justify, I justify it. Uh, even when my ego feels superior, my ego feeling desire to conquer something, to become special in relation with others, feeling it, feeling it is better than others. So if we are not down to earth, if we are not grounded in those spiritual bases, it is very simple to start nurturing the spiritual ego and we put away what we call dharma, right? The conclusion of our mission here on earth. So the attachment to the phenomena could be itself a process of self-sabotage or alienation of our own perception as a spiritual being that has a mission to conclude here. The mission is related to the enlightenment on this world. That's why we have this body. That's why we are fully connected to nature. Our body was designed to be in touch with that bigger web. So it's important to be aware if our focus is on conquering a power or if our focus is on being obedient to inner values, inner guidelines and these spiritual principles. So I, I already talked about spiritual nourishment, spiritual ego, spiritual principles, and now it comes the spiritual life. If I have the knowledge that life creates things in balance, where there are forces that constantly look for the balance in life, life homeostasis, homeostasis in our body, in our system, in everything, if we have that consciousness, we need to be coherent with that life perspective and it's going to influence the way we consume. I will see if I really need that product I'm about to buy, if that product is truly important for me to see where does it come if explo exploitation of human beings or animals were involved if the cost uh, if the price is just going to satisfy a corporation and it hasn't a social meaning to benefit a community or so. This is also spiritual life, our ways of consumption. As we are in a system that involves consumption, it is good to take just the minimum, as we need almost nothing and always with consciousness. Then there is the food awareness, consumption, awareness, and how we are going to take care of our body, the schedule. You can say, now I don't need anymore to sleep because I don't eat. 
but you still need to rest. Your body needs, needs cer certain hormones. While you are awake, you are driven, you're driven by hormones like cortisol, that is an excitement hormone that creates stress. So we are all we, so we are all the time with that stress. And at night, there is another hormone that is melatonin that is the opposite, that restores the body and leaves everything quiet. So we need some time to sleep. For sure, as we are connected to nature, um, and we are nature itself, after the sunset, our organism turns down. We start preparing our body with melatonin to go to sleep. And if we have everything turned on, like lights, devices, all the time, we are interfering in that process of balance. We are going to wake up very late. We lose the dynamism of our body. We might be waking up at noon, maybe. Anyway, there are those little things that are part of nature and every animal in nature are following that rhythm. With, with some exceptions, uh, for sure, like nocturnal animals, but they are all under nature's rules. And spiritual life isn't out of nature. It is under nature's rhythm. So there are the spiritual values applied in our life along with nature and in society. So it is important what we consume and the consequences of our choices uh, what is this creating for others to be immune to selfishness, ignorance and other things that are bad for our de development? So these were the four topics I wanted to bring to you and I hope I was clear enough. Sometimes people say, oh, it is so cool if you talk about your experience with the 21-day process about those nine years you spent just on liquids. People have that excitement to know about that. And then I come here speaking about very simple stuff. And it is because along my experience, I saw many people so caught up in the phenomena and they were missing the basis, the, the simple, uh, just wanting to conquer the phenomena. Um, so, so I believe it's important for us to take a look at the simple principles first and let this, the extraordinary things to happen naturally if that's relevant for our spiritual journey. If we are immature and we are only seeking for experience, uh, seeking the experience of the powers, um, it is clear that we will not get along with it and it could be dangerous. I don't remember the author, but there is a thought that says, if you want to know a person, give power to them. And that person could be super nice, but now that they have power, they could become really mean. Imagine the ego of a person getting to know the world, still dealing with immature choices, and then the person wins a power where his vanity increases, where his ego increases, where he or she starts nurturing his or her character until they lose 
what is sacred inside. They lose this and they lose the essence and, and life could get very messy, like a jungle. The person gets stuck in reincarnation. That's why we need to be careful. Mm. However, let's answer the questions. Uh, for me, what's the difference between fasting and pranic nourishment? Okay, mm. fasting uh, is when you avoid eating, when you are not eating. Sometimes you avoid liquids as well, or you avoid speaking, and you create a space in your body for the body restore itself, for your body clean itself. Um, it reduces the stimuli and you have that space. After a while, the body starts asking food again because it gets the nourishment from that. So then, so then I had a clear signal. My body needed external things. Um, I wasn't nourishing myself from prana. Maybe there, there was a coefficient of prana nutrition, but to live just from light and nothing else, even being living here in the middle of, in the middle of nature, drinking clear water, exercising, practicing yoga, Mm, under the sun and so on I didn't live uh, from light fully I imagine people living in big cities like Sao Paulo like New York Milan London experiencing that I think it could be pretty dangerous I remember my last prana, prashakti, that is the name we use for the 21-day process. I had the experience of feeling my receptive centers wide sensitive, wide open and assimilating what was around. So if I'm in a dense environment, in a bad environment, of course, I could put my mental and emotional integrity in danger because I'm absorbing those thoughts from the collective unconscious, the energies around. So fasting and pranic living are very different things. And pranic nutrition, I think it's for special people, people who were already born with merits, spiritual merits, or they were trained and it happened, this in their lives. Uh, but I don't think this is for everyone. Mm, the definition of light, of the light being, well, um, Well, I recognize there exists a, a side of us that is light, even in trees, plants, animals, because every, everything has this subtle energetic side that composes us. Every atom is light. Uh, we are under some rules, some physical laws that is inside matter, but the true, the true essence of everything is light. Nevertheless, we are not going to deceive the physical mechanism uh, and try to jump some steps when we are not ready for that. We need to go step by step by now. Mm, well, my opinion about the COVID-19 
This is a topic that is taking every place, even here in the little paradise I live. When I go out, I need the mask, I need to wash my hands all the time and so on. So my opinion is that the COVID comes as a vaccine. It comes to prevent us from something worse to happen. So what we were doing with the planet, the accelerated way we were destroying everything, the COVID came to stop everything before we really jump off the cliff. So Mother Nature brings the concern about how we mess up all. Mm. So it is good to get out of this with, with this lesson, right? When, when we stop, nature can breathe and we can only live with nature breathing because we are nature. The next one is advices to people who want to start this process of light nourishment. So, um, I think we should start deconstructing certain desires we have. Um, especially when we don't master some aspects of ourselves yet, which are more essential, much more important to work on. And again, the subject could put the person in a serious stage. Uh, we should be complete. We should be happy. We should do our mission in life. And all that is way more important than just stop eating. So I believe Uh, from my journey since 2001, living this influence that, that if someone one day develop uh, the ability of living without food, isn't going to be because the person complete the process, for sure. It's going to be due to spiritual merits. So let's say... So, um, any common person who judges, who lies, who lets himself be deceived by appearances, um, there's no need to worry because there are other priorities. Um, for real, uh, trying to stop eating is going to be a distraction. I hope I'm, I'm clear on this. I know it isn't good news for those who want to live this way, for those who want to start living this journey, but this isn't the solution for all the problems. Because I went out from the 21 days I spent 90 days without solid food, just water, some juices, but it was nine years with dry fasting, liquid fasting, and, and I continued with my ego, my frustrations, all of that. And that happens to everyone. I saw it everywhere with all those who tried this path and for most of the people I knew around the world it's exactly the same so I think this shouldn't be the focus I believe the pranic consciousness it has more to do with your present state with conscious choices about uh, it's about not feeding a market that creates suffering, um, 
not feeding yourself with suffering, no products derived from animals, all this creates discipline and discipline frees ourselves. Uh, I think this is another subject to work with our ego because we need discipline. If we just go with the flow we are feeling, the ego makes you feeling things and you get lost from what you came here to do. It is, it is important to have this responsibility and usually who has big uh, wings are privileged, are privileged ones. Um, and they have great responsibility indeed. Uh, I believe on the construction of the consciousness they carry, um, they carry more responsibility and we should put more focus on helping others first. Okay, uh, a good experience with pranic, pranic nourishment I have a lot of amazing experiences, mainly because you get very sensitive and you attract many synchronicities. So I wrote a book about it. I was living miracles all the time, everything coming to my life so easily and a person who changed my life came into my experience and took me to Europe, uh, gave me conditions to go to India. And I give a lot of details about this in my book, uh, Traveling in Light. Traveling in the Light. Um, there, there, I also talk about experience with my family, the challenges and so on. But there were incredible experiences that I don't see is because my not eating, but due to the vibration I was emanating. Of course, our nutrition influences our vibrational state to feed ourselves with light foods like fruits, vegetables, fresh local foods. Um, they all have a lot of prana. So you keep this state. If you create a discipline with food, if you create a grateful relationship with food, your vibration gets really high. Then you meditate and it helps a lot more. Then you work to drive the energetic fields in your body. That's much better. Then you live with people who resonate with you even better. Then you live near nature. It helps even more. So there are many aspects to work on. Mm, there are the stars and... There are the stars as well, which influence us. We, we find many things that influence us. Uh, while we are in this body, we are ruled by a bunch of elements. The full moon is going to affect us at some point. Um, the new moon is going to affect us in another way. The time you sleep, if you have discipline, you're going to rest in a certain way. If you don't, uh, it's going to be different as well. Um, the receipt is very peculiar, but anyways, it's very important to have this self-care, to be connected, to be aligned without denying all those influences around. A bad experience. Okay, at several points in my story, um, I truly delude myself. I ended up judging people. I developed an spiritual ego, thinking people were not ready enough for this possibility. 
and I was and I was awake already without thinking this way precisely but on the background it was it was like that um to be to be easy to understand it was pretty much like that I think it was that uh, praising my ego in that condition generating many troubles people trying to show me like okay calm down you're here in this dimension yet slow down and I was like how come you don't know what's going on inside myself um, always reacting, thinking the elements outside weren't influencing me. And I think humility is a fundamental element to achieve. Okay, dear family, we had a technical problem. I couldn't send the last video. My message, what I wanted to transmit, I almost finished. Um, I, I wanted to say goodbye and wish you a very nice festival. I hope we recognize ourselves in that big web where we reflect each other because we are the same. I wish we develop this respect, this learning, this humility of being learning with everything that surrounds us and also with what is inside. Thank you very much for the opportunity and see you the next time. Namaste.